Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. We're back with the program Tazkiyah. If you just tuned in to Channel Islam International, this is Laylatul Jumu'ah. And as I reminded you, the favorite program Tazkiyah with Sheikh Kamaluddin live out of Pakistan. I am your host, Musa Akudi, here in the studio in Johannesburg. Uh, our contact numbers for the studio, uh, 02711-494-7007. And the SMS line is 27 8204-8167. I repeat the SMS line, 0027-8204-8167. So prepare your SMS uh, questions now for Sheikh Kamaluddin. And we're speaking about taqwa, anything in relation to hajj, inshallah, and how we can advance ourselves in this aspect of tazkiyah and come close to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Uh, you can keep your, uh, your, your SMS lines rolling in, inshallah, Aziz, and uh, we'll have a very, very excellent response from our Sheikh Kamaluddin Ahmed out of Pakistan. Uh, Sheikh, uh, we were speaking just a little before this about Hajj, and I, I would like you to mention to many of the Hujjaj Kiram who probably returns now from uh, Makkatul Mukarramah from Hijaz as to how they should be conducting their lives. And I must remind you, Sheikh, at the same time that our schools are closing this week. And uh, many of our youngsters will be having their vacations. So perhaps you could add in for them as well as to what uh, constructively they should be doing during their vacation and their breaks. Over to you, Sheikh. Alhamdulillah wa kafa wa salam ala ibadihi alladheena istafaama ba'd. Qala billahi min ash-shaytani rajeem bismillahirrahmanirrahim wa an laysa al-insani illa ma sa'a. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has made both the affairs of our dunya and the affairs of our deen such that we reach certain milestones, certain hallmark moments in our life. And whenever we reach the completion of something, that completion is always preceded by a climax. For example, you will see in the month of Ramadan, there is a climax in the end of the month of Ramadan, which is the last ten days, known as Itikaf. When a person goes and makes his journey on Hajj and they spend some time in Makkah Mukarramah and Medina Manawar and Aziziyah before and gradually it builds up to this climax in Arafat, Muzdalifah and Mina. Or just like many of our college and university students are about to finish a semester and their end of the semester builds up into a climax which is their final exams. And what happens is we witness in us that both in the deen and in the dunya, whenever we reach this milestone climax moment, we are willing to put in all of our effort. So students right now in many different parts of the world are preparing for their final exams and putting the maximum amount of effort that they put in the whole term. The hujaj were putting in the maximum amount of effort in those particular days of Arafat, Muzdalifah, and Mina. And... Another thing that we notice is that a lot of people, after that maximum effort, after that climax, they crash. So we will have students who will go on break, and they will spend their two, three, four, five-week break doing nothing. They will spend, they will waste their time away in their break. There are some people who come back from Hajar Umrah and complain uh, that, you know, or not complain, but they state about themselves that when we return, uh, we feel that we've dipped into a spiritual low. That all of a sudden we were on a high, we reached a pinnacle, a peak, a climax, and for some reason we feel that we've burned out or we fall into a low. So what everybody needs to look at 
whether it's returning hijab or whether the student who's going on break, how can we try to maintain uh, our what, whatever we acquired due to our efforts? How can the haji or the person who's returning from hajj maintain that spiritual state? And that is something that's going to take sustained effort because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said in the Quran al-Kareem, that no human being will have anything except that they strive for it, they make effort for it. Now, what happens is, is that when a person was on hajj, a person had a lot of free time. A person, all of their time was for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, for ibadah, to improve themselves. When they come back, they're going to become busy again. They're going to become busy in their studies and their teaching and their work and their factory and their business and their profession and their occupation and their home and their families. A whole host of uh, things are awaiting to restake their claim and their, on their time. Similar, on the flip side, the students who are going on vacation are going to be completely free. When they spend their semester break or their term break, they're going to be completely free. What we have to do is we have to make, learn how to make small steps. And I know many times on this program, sometimes we talk about very theoretical or very deep topics. And I feel sometimes every now and then we should talk about something elementary and something practical. And we'll be amazed that even though there are some very baby tips, very baby steps, we can take, but we're not taking them. And I would suggest that the person who's coming back from Hajj and the university student who's going on break should focus on a few things. And if they can focus on these few things, inshallah ta'ala, they will be able to maintain their state, they will be able to continue their development and journey towards Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The first thing is that we must work on our individual selves. We must work on our individual ibadat. We must become people who are very regular in our salah. And now we have to become people who try to increase in the quality of our salah. So the person who was on hajj would have had plenty of opportunity to pray all types of nawafil, to pray salat al-istikhara, salat al-hajj, salat al-tahajj, salat al-tasbih, salat al al-masjid, tahiyat al-wadu, all types of nawafil, sunnahs, etc. But when they come back, they have to make sure they can't leave all of that. Obviously, they won't be able to pray as much salah as they were able to pray over there. Because again, they're coming back and they're going to be busy. But there must be some time in their day, where some days in which they're able to pray certain extra voluntary nafil. They can't lose everything that they gained on that journey of hajj. And just like that, the student who's going on break should think that, okay, now that I'm totally free, if while I was studying in the university I was not able to pray these different nawafil, these different salawat, now that I'm completely free, I should try to pray some nafil salat sometimes. The second thing is that we should try to improve the quality of our salat. And that is that to try to be more focused in our prayer. And there are two ways a person can do that. Number one is that we can try to lengthen parts of our prayer, such as, for example, maybe sometimes offering a bit of a longer ruku, saying subhana rabbi al-azim maybe seven times, eleven times, or offering a longer sajda, saying subhana rabbi al-azim seven times, nine times, eleven times, etc. 
Many times we do sadhana so quickly and we don't even feel that experience, even that physical act of bowing, then kneeling, then prostrating, then placing our forehead on the ground for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, even that physical act should be enough to transform us. Because we do it so quickly, many times we're not able to feel it. So one way is to change that and try to prolong our sajdas, or to prolong our qiyam, to prolong our talawat. And even if we may not know very long surahs of the Qur'an, it's permissible to recite more than one surah. So we can, if somebody knows, says, I only know the last ten surahs of the Qur'an, they can recite all of those last ten surahs in a rakat if they wish. So we have to maintain the quality of our salah, and sometimes that means deliberately, forcefully lengthening it more than what we normally, routinely, habitually pray. Another way, to, the second way to improve in our quality of salah is to pick a few words in our prayer and try to make this pact with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that I want to say these words with meaning. And I want to say these words with feeling. I want these words to come from my heart and not just from my tongue. So just as an example tonight, we will take two sets of words that everybody knows and everybody uses in their salah, and that is Subhana Rabbi Al-Azim and Subhana Rabbi Al-A'la. So the first word here is Subhan, and this is a very important type of dhikr because Allah SWT said in the Qur'an, Ya ayyuhalladhina amunu dhikrullaha dhikran kathira wa sabbihuhu bukratan wa asila that all you who believe you must make the dhikr of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala abundantly and the first type of dhikr that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions as a way to do this abundant dhikr as a way to do the dhikr kathir is to recite the tasbih of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to say subhanallah now what does this mean many times in English we translate this as glory be to Allah this is a gross underestimation and undervaluing of the power of this word. Subhan means that a person is testifying from their heart that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is that being who possesses each and every perfection, each and every beauty. He is adorned with the complete, kamil, absolute, complete set of wonders, perfections, excellences, nobilities, virtues, and beauties. And secondly, a person is saying, when they say subhan, they're saying that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is absolutely flawless. He is pure and free from every defect, every flaw. He is incomparable and beyond our imagination in any way whatsoever. All of those English sentences, all of those are captured in the single word subhan. And this is a word that we should try to say with feeling. Now that person who can say this word with feeling in every ruku, in every sujood, in every sajda is going to be a person who is going to change in their relationship with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And the second word that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala asks us to use in our salah is the word rub. Particularly here, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wants us to say rabbi, that Allah is my rub. And this is meant to be an expandable experience from the heart that subhan, in other words, when I am glorifying, praising, declaring Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to be the absolutely perfect, absolutely beautiful, and flawless and free from all defect. And then secondly, that I say that rabbi, that such a being is my rub, it is my rub 
who is absolutely perfect and complete and beautiful. It is my Rabb who is free from all defect. So it's a personal statement. And Allah SWT wants us to feel this emotion towards Him personally. And it is a great source of grace and honor in our izzat that such an incredible being, such a wonderful zat, such a flawless being is our Rabb. That Allah who is Rabbul Alameen, that Allah SWT who is Maliki Yawmiddin, that Allah SWT who is absolutely perfect and flawless, that Allah is my Rabb. That is what it means when we say Subhan Rabbi. Then when we say in Ruku Al-Azim, so we are saying is exalted and pure is my Rabb, free from all flaw and defects is my Rabb, who is also Al-Azim. And here it means that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is greatness, His majesty, His splendor, His might is the most predominant thing on my mind. There is nothing that I hold to be Azim. There is nothing that I will value and esteem as much as Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. His wish for me is Azim is greater than my wish for myself. His desire for me is greater than my desire for myself. His teachings and commandments are greater for me than any and all other teachings and philosophies and ideologies. My Rabb is free from all defect. My Rabb is absolutely perfect. And my Rabb is Al-Azim. And if a person feels that Azmat of Allah SWT coming onto their heart, and that was the lesson that they were supposed to get on Hajj, and in the entire experience of Hajj was in many other things as well, but was to increase their heart and their azmat for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So we need to reconnect the experiences and feelings that we experience in Hajj back to our daily ibadat, our daily salawat. And the university student going on break needs to tap into the meanings of those things that he or she may have been saying mindlessly and heedlessly throughout all of their life. So we need to become people who say, subhanahu with Remembrance with consciousness and with feeling. And then the other word that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uses for us and says is Al-A'la. Subhana Rabbi Al-A'la. And obviously Al-A'la uh, has a relationship with Sujood. But we should remember here and we should also, you know, make this point that it's, we should also make a dua to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Ya Allah, let me follow the sunnah as perfectly as I follow this sunnah. In other words, it is saying Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala Revealed to the heart of Sayyidina Rasulullah Wasallam that I want my servants when they enter, when they go into sajda, I want them to say, Subhana Rabbi Al-A'la. I want them to refer to me as their Rabb. I want them to address me as quote-unquote my Rabb. And I want them to invoke my name, my attribute of being Al-A'la. And Sayyidina Rasulullah when he received this revelation on his heart, he expressed this on his tongue in the form of the sunnah and taught the entire ummah this. And we should all think that just like we follow this sunnah absolutely completely, that none of us would think of saying some other word, none of us say subhanarabbi al-kareem or subhanarabbi al-anything else, we follow completely, absolutely, without fail. The sunnah teaching of the Prophet ﷺ to say Al-A'la, we should make dua that Allah subhanahu enable us to follow each and every one of his sunnahs so scrupulously, so closely and without fail. 
Khair, when Allah SWT said, Allah, I want to clear one misconception, that it does not mean that Allah SWT is the high one in the sense that He is up there, that we are lowering ourselves and we are putting ourselves down because Allah is located up. Our aqidah, the aqidah of ulama of Ahl Sunnah wal Jamaat about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is la makana lahu wa la jihad lahu, that there is no space for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, there is no spatiality, spatial dimension for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, there is no direction to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, it is infinitely wrong to say Allah is above because Allah is neither above or below or in front or behind or on the left, on the right. Directionality and direction, jihad, have no meaning when they're referring to Allah SWT. Allah SWT transcends all spatiality, all direction. So when we're saying Allah SWT is al-Atla, we're referring to his maqam. That subhan, free from defect and absolutely perfect, is my Rabb, who has the highest maqam in my heart. That I view Allah's wishes as Allah over my wishes. I view Allah's command as Allah over my command. I view my love for Allah SWT as Allah over all of my other loves. I view the pleasure of Allah SWT as Allah over all and other pleasures. So if a person can learn to even say these two sentences with meaning, Subhanallah bin Adim and Subhanallah bin Allah, and it would focus in on that, then what's going to happen is they will start feeling in their prayer then that will spill over into the rest of their salah, then they will enter a state of dhikr into the rest of their prayer, then as they keep doing it, then it will spill over into the rest of their life, and they will be able to remember Allah even outside of salah. So whether we're returning from Umrah or Hajj, or whether we're a student going on a break, we need to pick these small things, small things increasing our being regular in our salah, occasionally praying nafil salah, sometimes prolonging our tilawat, ruku, or sujood in our salah, and trying to, number four, focus on the meanings of our salah. And I gave one example of that, is to focus on the meaning of sabana rabbil alim, sabana rabbil amal. The second thing that a person returning from hajj or a student going on break should do is that we need to develop some ta'luk with the Qur'an. And we should have a daily connection and contact with the Qur'an. And that means we should do daily tilawat of the Qur'anic name in Arabic. There's a common misconception, and that is that there's no benefit to doing Arabic recitation without the translation. That is incorrect. One should has two options. One should either do recitation without translation or one should read translation with commentary, a person should not read translation alone. In other words, we should not do recitation with translation. Let me re- re- repeat this. Either a person should read the Arabic of the Qur'an al-Karim, and that is it. Or secondly, if they want to read the Qur'an for the sake of learning and knowledge, then they must read a translation along with the commentary. They must read tarjama along with an authentic tafsir. They should not read tarjama and translation alone. Either we do tilawat alone or we do tarjama and tafsir. We read it with translation and commentary. And this itself is mentioned in the Qur'an that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sends a signal to the Sahaba who were native Arab speakers that they also should not read the Qur'an alone for understanding. When Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions the ayat about the different functions of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and says, 
لَكَدْ مَنَّ اللَّهُ الْمُؤْمِنِينَ That verily Allah Subhanahu has great and favored the believers is بَعْثَ فِيهِمْ رَسُولًا مِنْ أَنفُسِهِمْ When he sent to them a messenger from amongst their own selves لَيَتْلُ عَلَيْهِمْ آيَاتِهِ To recite to them the verses of revelation وَيُزَكِّهِمْ To purify them وَيُعَلِّمُهُمُ الْكِتَابِ And to teach them the book so here Allah subhanahu is saying that even the Sahaba Kiram should not content themselves with just the tilawat of the ayat, just the recitation of the verses of revelation, and for them because they are Arabs, just the surface meanings of the Quran, but rather they must accept the teachings of the Prophet in his commentary in the Quran. So when even the Sahaba cannot just look at the meanings without the commentary and explanation, then obviously you and me cannot look at the meanings without the commentary and explanation. But if a person cannot go into that detailed level of study, preferably with a scholar, but otherwise with an authentic tafsir, then at least a person could spend 10 to 15 minutes a day doing tilawat of the Arabic Quran. And it's very important that the person who's returning from Hajj, who, mashallah, on that journey, was able to develop a relationship and a practice and a habit of daily recitation, that when they come back, they should continue that daily tilawat, even if it is just for 10 or so minutes a day. And just like that, the student who is going on break should take advantage of the break and the extra time they have to develop a ta'luk with the Qur'an, with the kalam of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So two things, number one is to try to improve our salah, and number two is to read and recite the Qur'an al-Kaleem. Number three is we must also increase our relationship with Sayyidina Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa And one thing that I will find that a person who comes back from Hajj normally has a desire for the deen. And one way to make sure we keep that desire and thirst alive is by acquiring ilm. So I would suggest that everyone who comes back from Hajj when they come back should start reading on the Sirat and the Hayat and the Sunnat of our beloved Messenger Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. And two very good books for that that are available in both in English and in Urdu, both in South Africa and in England and in Pakistan even, are number one, the Shamail of Imam Tirmidhi, Shamail of Tirmidhi, available in both English and Urdu, translation of the Arabic original. And secondly, a book, Usfai Rasul Akram, available both in Urdu and in English as well. And when a person reads these, and a student also, when they're going on break, the student should get these books and open up the table of contents. And whatever chapter interests them, they should start reading. We should need to connect ourselves more with the life and the legacy and the teachings of Sayyidina Rasulullah That person who returns from Hajj, the more and more connected they are to the Sunnah, the more and more they will be on Istikamat. And the second way we can connect ourselves to the Prophet is to become a person of regular Durud and Salawat. That is why Allah Subhanahu wa says in Quran, Inna Allahu wa malaikatuhu yusalluna ala nabi that indeed know that Allah subhanahu wa and His Messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam send salawat on Nabi Kareem sallallahu alayhi wa sallam Ya ayu wa taslima that all you who believe you must also send on Him. Obviously if Allah subhanahu and the messengers uh, and the angels are sending salawat. So we should try to recite salawat in the root 100 times a day. The next thing is that when the person went on hajj they made this journey of tawbah. And they went to Arafat, and they were making a lot of istighfar and tawbah to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. 
And when they were doing that, they need to be thinking that now that I've returned, I need to sit down and reflect on my life and try to find out all the things that I'm doing that are sin and try to change them. And they need to engage in the exercise of muhasaba, of critical self-assessment. Now, what exactly is a sin? A sin is going to be defined in Islam as anything that is displeasing to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and anything that is displeasing to His beloved Messenger, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. That is a sin. And we need to make sure that when we return from such an incredible journey such as Hajj or we emerge from such an incredible journey such as Ramadan or even the university student who's going away on break and now has some time to engage in reflection and introspection, we should try to identify what are those things. And what do I mean? Any action, any statement, any thought, any feeling, any emotion, any desire that is displeasing to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's messenger, we have to remove all of those actions and statements and words and sayings and thoughts and feelings and desires from our life. And we must begin that process when we return from Hajj. And we can begin with the smaller sins, and we can work our way up to the more difficult ones, but we must begin this journey and we must focus on leaving sin, and that is the real way we can attain taqwa. Hajj was the preparation. Hajj was the mercy and forgiveness that Allah subhanahu wa gave us. But if we come back, we return to our acts that are displeasing to Him, then we are undoing all of the gains and successes that we gained. And one way a person can do this is by reciting istighfar a hundred times a day so that they always remain conscious of the perpetual need to seek the forgiveness and mercy of Allah subhanahu and to repent. And the next thing a person should do when they come back from Hajj is they have to critically assess their company. What I was saying is their environment. And the environment and company isn't just friends and companions. It's anything that we allow ourselves to be associated with. It can be media. It can be audio. It can be video. It can be cyber. Anything that we allow ourselves to interact with. And we have to sit down and critically assess those interactions and make sure that we can try to wean ourselves off from those interactions, those audio, video, cyber, live interactions that distract us from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala or bring us to the displeasure of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And we must try to increase our environment, increase our interaction, increase our friends, increase the audio and video and cyber interactions of those things that draw us closer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And the university student critically has to focus on this issue as well. So these are just some very basic preliminary practical tips for those of us who have come back from Hajj and have that deep emotional strength and spiritual strength now, or those who are about to go away on break and will have a lot of free time on their hand, which they should try to use productively to draw themselves closer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Even though these are very baby steps, this is the nature of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, that He wants us to have a desire, and He wants us to show a small amount of effort, and then He will make a large effort for us. I will just conclude with Hadith Qudsi, that the Prophet said that Allah ta'ala said that I'm with my servant when he or she draws near to me. If she comes to me a hand span, I come to them an arm's length. If they walk to me, I come to them running. And that is what we have to do when we go on break or we come back from Hajj. We must take those small steps to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala so that he may come running towards us, so that he may make all of us mistaken. 
of his ayah in the Quran, that they are the people whom Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala draws near to him. Wa akhirun da'wana anadhamdulillahi rabbil alameen.